That's a great story, isn't it? The story of a couple, young couple without kids, but believing that God was sending them to a place where the church was not and now a church is. So big thanks to CFC for many of you who have partnered with them over the years. I want you to enjoy the fruit of their labor as well, because how can they believe unless someone goes? And how will they go unless someone sends them. And so really privileged to be able to share. And that, if you're not connected with one of our commended missionaries already, I invite you to go grab some barbecue and see how you might involve yourself with the Arnolds. They are going to run out of toilet paper at some point. All right. If you have a Bible, uh, if you would grab it, open it up, please, to Mark chapter 14. We are looking at, again, the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, and we're in the final week of his life. Throughout this series, we have seen Jesus interact with his disciples in all sorts of different encounters. But I have to tell you that this morning reaches the low point. So not that exciting to say, but it's the low point. This is going to be Jesus encountering abandonment by his disciples. It is a strange deal, but it's a case study in failure by followers. So you may go, well, who wants to talk about that? Well, I hope you and I will both be able to engage in this text and go, we can learn from their example. Because what happens is in verse 50, the end of this encounter, we're going to see it says, and they all, speaking of the 11, because Judas has already separated himself in order to betray Jesus, the other 11, they all left him and fled. Now, let me ask you, does anybody get up one morning and say, I'm going to flee and leave Jesus. I'm going to abandon Jesus today. I don't think that generally happens, especially when these guys got up that morning and said, it's Passover. Where do you want us to prepare the feast? So they were about his business that morning. And that night, every single last one of them run in fear and abandon Jesus. And so as we look at this text, and it's a lengthy text, I want us to read with this very specific question in mind. You ready? What happened? In other words, how'd they get there? How did they go from, let's prepare the Passover, to they all left him and fled? Open up to verse 26. That's where we're going to start in Mark 14. And we're going to read the whole way towards verse 52. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So Jesus predicts it. But watch, verse 29. Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will, what? I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before Christ crows twice, you're going to, you yourself will deny me three times. And Peter's reply, he kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, in other words, the other 10 were saying the same thing. So all 11 are saying, we won't, we won't, 
we won't. Verse 32, they came to a place named Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. He was praying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He came and found them doing what? Sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? So in an hour, he goes completely asleep. Keep watching, Jesus says to him, and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Verse 41, he came to the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Verse 43. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming up, Judas immediately went to Jesus saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by, drew his sword and struck. Who is this? Do you know? Yeah, this is Peter. One of the other gospel writers tells us he drew his sword and he struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and and escaped naked. So, when you finish this text, everybody wants to know what? Who's the naked guy? (laughs) Who's the naked guy? Who's the streaker? And lots of people say, yeah, lots of people will say it was Mark. It was his way of the way an artist might paint himself into a picture. He's written himself into the gospel by putting this humiliating moment in the text. The only problem with this is this. Nowhere does the scripture define the person as Mark. So I am not saying to you it was Mark because Imagine if it wasn't Mark, and for hundreds of years, everybody's been saying, he's the guy that ran away naked, and you've been going, it wasn't me, stop saying that. So we don't know, and frankly, it doesn't matter. Because actually, I think the guy in the text is reflective of the 11 who run away exposed and ashamed, represented by this guy. The much more important question 
in the text is, how did we go from that start to that end? I mean, very specifically, what it said in verse 31 was, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Who was that? That's Peter. And they all, the rest were saying, yes, if we have to die with you, I'm not going to you, deny you. Two, and they all left him and fled. From that to that. It's a strange, it's strange, I know, but really the text is how to be a disciple who abandons Jesus. Well, that's weird, but that's really what this text teaches us. So I'm going to make six observations quickly about how to be a disciple who abandons Jesus. And then we'll come and flip it on its head and look at it from the other side. But from the text, it's, uh, it really teaches us by their example, if you're going to be a disciple who abandons Jesus, then first consider yourself as more important than others. Because that's where Peter started. That's verse 29. Consider yourself as better than others, even if other people, not me. Secondly, how to be a disciple who abandons Jesus, not only consider yourself as better than others, repeatedly and insistently deny weakness. Somehow we think if we say it sincerely, it'll make it happen. Ever been to a wedding and somebody doesn't say their vows very sincere and you think, uh-oh. No, some people are just nervous. Some people chuckle their whole way through the vows. Like, I've done lots of weddings and I go, oh, you're, you're the nervous chuckler. And they kind of giggle their way the whole way through their vows. It's not lack of sincerity, it's simply they're nervous. But then there's others who go, no, I mean it. I really mean it. I mean, I double dare mean it. We won't. They repeatedly and insistently deny that they will deny Jesus. So how to be a disciple of Banzies? Consider yourself as better than others. Repeatedly and insistently deny weakness and choose sleep over prayer. Now, that one makes you a little more nervous, doesn't it? That fits a little too close to home, right? Because you're all going, oh, that's me. How many of you have tried to pray but then fell asleep? If your hand's not up, it's because you've never tried to pray. Because <laughs> everybody who's tried to pray falls asleep, right? It's, you start out, but then you just can't. It's just grogginess gets you. But it's, it plays it out, as we'll look later in this text. It plays it out when it makes a difference when we choose sleep over prayer. Uh, and then you dismiss correction from Jesus. Uh, what I mean by that is, it, in the text, Jesus finds them napping after an hour. And he says, hey, wake up. Couldn't you watch and pray, expecting that everybody gets drowsy, but don't do that again. If you've never been driving down like I-95 or, or a highway and then gotten drowsy, I, I have. And then you have that moment where 
man, you wake up, you go, whoa, and it scares you. When that happens, what do you do? I keep driving. I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not going to. No. If that happens, you, you, you got to do something differently than what you've been doing. You need to like slap yourself really hard back and forth or put the window down. Or if you ever tried to turn the AC as cold as you can get, like, I can't fall asleep. In other words, that, that, that jolt is a wake-up call. And I'm telling you, when Jesus shows back up after an hour and they're sleeping, he's going, hey, keep watching and praying. The, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He's giving them a wake-up call. And then he walks away. And what do they do? In other words, they didn't do anything different than what they had done before. If you're falling asleep during prayer, you need to do something different or you're going to fall asleep during prayer. So they dismiss the correction we know because he comes back, wakes them up, they fall asleep. He comes back, wakes them up a step time and they fall asleep a third time. He goes, okay, it's enough. Does this word make a difference in your life? Yeah, I, I hope so. You know, the, the intent of teaching the scriptures is that it'd be a wake-up call for you. And then make your battle against flesh and blood. See, what, what Peter does is because he sleeps through prayer repeatedly and then dismisses the correction from Jesus. When the battle takes place, he simply joins the battle that's physical, that's obvious in front of him. They have swords, I'll pull a sword. They're going to try and take me, I'll take them. I don't think the, the, it's a precision shot cutting off the ear. I think it's a sleepy shot by a fisherman, not a soldier. But he simply engages as if it's a battle against flesh and blood. But Jesus doesn't join in. And then they all bolt. And when you fail, you run away exposed and shame. You go hide. That's what happens. We run away, we hide. Now, granted, there's not many times you come to church to get a lesson on how to abandon Jesus. Because none of us really want to, and yet it happens. So, here's my wake-up call. I've seen lots of you write it down. If you weren't writing it down, here's all six bullets. My point in showing this to you is to look in the mirror. Do you see yourself in any of those? Because if you do, that's a, it's intended to be a jolt so that you would do something differently than you have been doing. If you consider yourself as better than others, if you're repeating and insisting, denying your weakness, if you're choosing sleep over prayer, dismissing correction from Jesus, if you're making your battle against flesh and blood, totally ignoring a spiritual battle, and when you fail, then you just run and hide, then thank the Lord for this text. Thank the Lord for the example from the disciples that you might this morning go, that's a wake up. I need to do something differently. Because... This is a well-worn path. So I hope you'll be responsive.
So now let's flip it on its head. Because here's the, the good news in the midst of this. There are practices that we can give ourselves to that will lead us down a different path. And so I want us to look at the scriptures regarding what are the practices that would move us towards faithfulness. Faithfulness being one of the fruit of the Spirit. And the first one, I think, is actually the most important one. And I'll show you why. If we're going to practice faithfulness, not abandonment, it begins with humbly admitting, I'm prone to fail. The exact opposite of what Peter did. Peter said, never, not me, maybe everybody else, death before abandonment. And then what did he do? He abandoned. So actually, I think the first key is saying, I'm prone to fail. That seems so counterintuitive. But would you admit this morning, maybe would you say out loud right now this morning, I am prone to fail. Yeah, see, because Peter's going, I'm not saying that. Everybody else can say that, not me. And that's actually what sends him down one path and allows us to potentially walk another. It begins with, I admit, I am prone to... Now, why is that so significant? Because the scripture declares God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, see, when we think, I would never do that. I would never do that to my spouse. I would never do that to my kids. I would never do that at work. I would never make that decision. When you look at somebody's life and they've made a wreck of it and you think, I would never do that. Actually, you are in great danger of doing it. Far better, far better for every single one of us when we see someone wreck their life, go, I am prone to do the very same thing. I am not above that. Now that seems like, no, 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 no. We need to like bow up and go, we're not going to do that. We need to be determined. Uh, let Peter be your example of where that leads. Because when you bow up and go, I won't do that, then you set yourself against God. Actually, God says to everyone in here who will say, wow, I know myself well enough that I could do that. I could be that guy then the grace of God has room to, to work in your life. The grace of God has space now to work in my life where I humbly admit what? I am prone to fail. So it, it begins, actually, the next five are all expressions then of humility. When, when I admit I am prone to fail, then I will repeatedly confess my weaknesses before the Lord. Repeatedly confess my weaknesses before the Lord. See, I want us to give greatest attention to verse 38 in the text. Chapter 14, verse 38, Jesus says, Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. Now, why does he say that? 
He is saying that because he told Peter, watch and pray. And Peter went to sleep. And the other guys with him went to sleep. And he's going, come on, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I want us to focus there. What's it mean? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's he saying to them? Is he saying to them, I know you want to, but, but the flesh is weak. It's sleepy, so just go back to sleep. The flesh is weak. Is, is that what he's saying? No, it's not at all what he's saying. He's, he's not saying uh, weakness is an excuse. It's not a, weakness is not an excuse. What is it? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Weakness is an excuse. What is it? It's a reality. Jesus is just stating the reality in the moment. Uh, I think he's saying, Peter, you, you need to understand something about it. I know you want to. I know you declare you would. I knew you bowed up and said, I won't. But guess what? Your flesh will never have the capacity to do what you need to do. You don't have it in you to do what is right. It's, it's not an excuse, it's a reality. But here's the great news. It's not the only reality. Are you weak, yes or no? But that is not all that is true about you. What's, what's the other reality? Well, from Paul's testimony, the other reality is this. And when I came to you, when he says, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, when I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I determined not to know, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you, read this with me, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, Paul's right there. What I found fascinating first about this is that Paul experiences these and he recognizes them, but he still goes. He's with them. I think that's significant because most of us, when we're afraid of something, then we don't do it, right? When we're, when we're scared, we go, oh, I can't. And so we don't. Paul's saying, I, I'm here. Even though I am fear and trembling, weakness, why would he go? He says, because my message and my message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You see what happened? See, there is weakness is an excuse. It's a reality. But not the only, what's the greater reality? What was the greater reality for Paul? The demonstration of the spirit. Weakness is not an excuse. It's a reality, but it's not the only reality. The spirit of God in me is a greater reality than my weakness. This is the hope that we have in the living Lord Jesus, that though I am weak, he is strong and he dwells with in me. So I know that's a lot to write down, but 
Man, this is, this is where faithfulness turns. Not in saying, I'm not weak. I'm, I'm really not weak. That doesn't get you anywhere. Peter and the 11 reveal that. But for those who will say, I am prone to wonder, and I recognize my weaknesses. But it's not the only reality. Let me illustrate. See this water bottle? Watch what happens. Were you surprised? You weren't surprised? Why? What, what happened there? Gravity happened. Will it happen again? Are you sure? Why? Because it's the law. It happens. I could do this all day. Because it's the law of gravity. If I drop it, it falls, right? It didn't fall. Good catch. No, 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 no. It's yours. For now. Why didn't it fall? Oh, it was what? A different law. What law is this? Yeah, I don't know what I, I don't know what law it is. It's just a different law. I skipped seventh grade science like you did. It was law of force or thrust or throw or something like that. So, so, go ahead. Yeah. Did gravity stop? See, this is key. Gravity didn't stop. A greater law took over. Now, are you going to be faithful because your weakness is going to stop? I will not be weak. Is that how it's going to get up? No. It's not that that weakness is stopped. It's a greater law is at work. So Paul says, I'm weak. But I went in the demonstration of the Spirit. Right? So every single one of us, every single day, either live by the law of the flesh or the law of the Spirit. I'm, but here's the kicker. To whom is the power of Christ significant to? No, not, not to everyone. To whom? Not to just believers. To whom? To people who admit they are weak. See, this is why what's so counterintuitive is so essential. Strength is only made manifest in weakness. And so as soon as we bow up like Peter and go, I won't fail, God opposes the path. But if we will say, I'm prone to fail, and the flesh is weak, now there's room for the greater reality, the demonstration of the Spirit to be demonstrated in your life. That's hope. It's what makes the difference between somebody who is determined and someone who is Spirit-empowered. 
but spirit empowerment is reserved for those who will admit weakness. And in admitting their weakness, they will then repeatedly confess, not only I'm weak, but I confess equally, I believe in the sufficient power of Christ in me. See the difference? It's not, see, if it's just confess your weakness, admit your weakness, admit your weakness, admit your weakness, then we all walk home like, oh, this is terrible. We're Eeyore Christians. But to admit, I admit I'm weak and believe that Christ in me is strong. Now I can begin to bear the fruit of faithfulness Not because I'm strong, but because he is made strong. I am made strong in my weakness. The sufficient power of Christ in me. With that then, I declare dependence upon God in honest and fervent prayer. See, it works together, friends. I admit I'm prone to failure. And I am weak, but Christ is alive and living in me. And so, Lord, I am dependent upon you for your grace and for your mercy, for your strength. The invitation of Hebrews 4, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So that's great for him. What's that have to do with us? Therefore... Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help. When's this? <laughs> Always. It, now, that's, you just can't say that on Sunday mornings at church. But mercy and grace are reserved For those who go, help. I'm prone to fail. Help. The flesh is weak. Help. Christ is in you. Mercy and grace. Always available. Fourth, keep your sword in your hand. Keep your sword. In your hand. I think it may be obvious to you, but let's be clear. Peter pulls out a sword, chops the guy's ear off. Why didn't Jesus say, let's go and have everybody pull out? Why didn't they fight? Well, why not? Because he knew they'd lose because they were lousy fighters? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, what was happening in the garden was not what Peter saw. It was a battle that he couldn't see, but that Jesus was very aware of. It's not against flesh and blood, but against 
the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because it's a spiritual battle, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, all, taking up the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. You see, when I recognize that the battle is not a battle against flesh and blood, marriage Struggle is not a battle against me and Jackie. Parenting is not a battle against me and the kids. Work is not me and the boss. It's a spiritual battle. And the sword in spiritual battle is the word of God. If a guy is at war... Do I have to go, hey, hey, oh, don't forget your rifle? Yes or no? Why not? Because he's at war. So for 29 years here at the chapel, it hit me. Why does it not work to beg and plead that you would be in the scriptures, that you'd have your sword in your hand and your heart? Why? Because we forget we're at war. Spiritual war. You tracking? We'll never make any progress as long as it's, hey, read your Bible. Hey, read your Bible. Hey, what'd you read in your Bible today? Check your box. But if rather, if you'll look at our world and go, this place is coming apart at the seams. If you would see that there really is a real enemy who hates truth and who hates marriage and who hates family and who hates the church, And our ears and eyes tell us that. Come on, folks. You'd have to be blind and deaf not to see that. Then you'd go, we're at war. And as soon as you were convinced we were at war, I wouldn't have to beg you to read your Bible. You'd have your sword in your hand. So what we do with our Bible, what we do with our sword, really reveals what we believe about life, doesn't it? Peter didn't believe it was really at war, so instead of praying, he slept. Because he slept instead of prayed, when they showed up with clubs, he thought it was a physical battle, and so he got out his sword and started swinging. It's such a picture of how you and I misinterpret life, and we fail to see the spiritual behind the physical. 
And in so doing, we neglect this. You know, the first thing you join the military, first thing you do is, here's your weapon. Don't go anywhere without it. You live with it. You sleep with it. You can take it apart with your eyes closed, clean it, and put it back together. In the light, in the dark. It's your weapon. It's your life. And until we believe that we're at war, that's not going to happen with this. But once we see it, if you'll get it, then you won't have to read your Bible. You'll want to read your Bible. You'll go to it because it's your life. It's your sword. It's your weapon. And you see that it's on. So I'm not begging you to read your Bible. I'm begging you to see where it war. That our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. Fifth, connect with others. We'll do the same. Now, where'd that come from? Well, these are new practices towards faithfulness. And one of the things I I hate about this text is the fact that they all abandon. And so, what do you and I need? We need others. When I say who will do the same, what I mean, do what the same? (laughs) Well, go to the top. Who will admit, hey, I'm prone to fail? Who admit, I'm weak, but Christ lives in me, and I believe in my oneness with Christ and the power of Christ being made manifest in my mortal flesh. And I I cry out to him with fervent prayer. And, And folks, I've been reading, and here's how God is speaking to me. See, that's... What a difference if family groups would start a lot more like this. Hey, I'm prone to fail. Instead of everybody shows up with family group, how you doing? Great. How about you? Great. Anything to pray about? Nothing. Anybody got something big going on? Nothing. Right? How about prayer requests? Crickets. And then somebody's aunt's sick, and so we get to all pray for it. The, the ants are the most prayed for people on the planet. Because nobody wants to say, I'm weak. And what's to pray about? if we're not weak. And who needs Jesus if we're not going to be prone to failure? So we all get together. (laughs) But we miss what is intended to make it meaningful. It all starts individually. It starts with us corporately when we start to be willing to acknowledge I'm weak. Hebrews 3 says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. There couldn't be a more appropriate text to the historical example we're looking at. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today. Isn't that great? Because that will work for tomorrow, because tomorrow it will be today. So as long as it's today, encourage one another. Why? So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the great deceitfulness of sin is, I'm not weak. I'll be true. I'll stand. I don't need your prayer. But how can I pray for you? That is not spiritual. That's junk. 
See, we encourage one another. We, we really, we encourage one another when we go, hey, I'm weak. Because finally somebody goes, oh, there's somebody like me in the room. I just didn't know that. From the outside, people look at Christian Family Chapel people and go, they're really strong. Hey, if that's in the demonstration of the spirit and power, praise the Lord. If that's put on, I'm, I almost fell off the step right there. <laughs> Just to prove that I'm prone to fall. No, not seriously. That's as close as I've ever come. I don't know if you saw it on my face, but I, whoo! I have no idea where I was. When, when, we, when we admit that we are prone to fail, we become real enough for other people to now relate to. I mean, really relate to, not just have cheesecake with. And then when you fail... Because this is, if you think, oh, this is a recipe for perfection, then you've missed the point. (laughs) When you do fail, run to Jesus for mercy and grace. My point is, everybody runs when they fail. It just matters where they run. Whether you run and hide, or you run for mercy and grace. Now, look up here for a moment, if you would. Do you admit to that? When you fail, you run. You either run and hide or you run for mercy and grace. See, the greatness of the love of God for you is that he is not saying, hey, stop running. What's he saying? Run to me. Run to me to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Again, One of the greatest lies is to think, I need to be strong. No, I need to admit I am weak in order that I might be made strong. It all boils down. It it all comes back. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Where do you fit here? The humble go, I'm prone, I'm weak, I'm one, I'm dependent. I need this. It's my life. And I need others who will humbly admit weakness with me. And ultimately, it's humbling. Is it not humbling to go before God and say, I failed again? Again and again. Please forgive me. Don't start hiding. Run to him and start at the beginning. I'm prone to fail, Lord. I need grace. It all starts here. So let me invite you to stand with me. And let's tell the Lord we're strong. 
No. Let's tell him what. We're weak in need of grace. Declare this with me. Oh, to grace, how great a debt. Daily I'm constrained to be. That thy grace, Lord, like a feather, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to thee, the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I runs deep your grace is more grace is found is where you are and where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ in me where you humbly be before you recognizing our weakness declaring that holiness is Christ in me that you are our one defense that you are our righteousness 
your grace is always more. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that we would live by the demonstration of the spirit and of power. That when we are weak, that your strength would be made manifest in our mortal flesh. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you go in weakness in order to be made strong? God bless.